Wasn't it fun to hear talented people play their instrument and to sing? Man, so good. Now, what you guys didn't know that, that showed up live in person is that you're my audience today. So when I ask questions, you're it. There ain't no, I'm getting an answer from somebody at home. It's this group of people right here. So we're going to see what the Lord provided for us this morning. So, um, so for the past year, um, I feel like I've been on a little bit of a journey with the Holy Spirit. And it's a, a journey centered around this sense that there's a crisis of hope in our world. Does anybody else sense that? A crisis of hope. Yeah. But it's launched me on this journey, and God's been bringing across my path just some things, some ideas, some concepts to give me some perspective. And so I love that we started out this year, back in January, um, taking a look at the issues of mental health, taking a look in, in the arena of anxiety and depression and unwanted, obtrusive thoughts and, and this is, that are so rampant in our culture. People are desperate for help and healing. And the overwhelming response and interest to that series um, tells us that, man, it's, we're hitting something there. This longing that people have to be free from those battles that have been keeping them in bondage. Uh, either us ourselves or someone that we, we know that's close to us that we love and care about. So we started there. And then this book, The Cure, uh, came across our path and, and helped us to clarify what a healthy journey with Christ looked like. One that focused more on grace than performance. So we talked about performance um, is anxiety producing <laughs> and shame evoking because we all know that we can't perform perfectly. I mean, it's really the whole reason why Jesus came for that very reason. We discovered that our options, once we kind of come to terms with that, is either to wear a mask and kind of pretend like we're okay or to surrender to that grace and to embrace God's love for us, a love that was never predicated on our ability to live this Christian life out perfectly to begin with. And we spent some time, if you'll remember, kind of wrapping our minds around this quote. Um, if you'll take a look at this, this should be familiar to you. The quote was, what if they knew the basis of our friendship isn't how little they sin, but how much they allow me to love them. And for many of us, that was kind of a, a game-changing perspective on God's love for us, a game-changing way to think about that. And I feel like those two series that we've kind of done so far this year um, and what we learned from them, but especially the ways people that have dug in um, to really work through the implications of their daily lives and moving towards healing have all been super beneficial steps forward um, for us as a community. And I think some measure of hope has been gained by some people that, hey, maybe I don't have to stay stuck in these cycles and these patterns of brokenness forever. There's some hope, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that God is moving in some way. Um, Sorry, I got to find out. What are you doing to me, Dave? <laughs> there you go. God is still active and moving. There we go. Working in the midst of this mess we've been experiencing, even in the last two months. And one of the things that you might have gained from the last two months of being in your home with nowhere to go is maybe some really needed kind of self-introspection. <laughs> you know, you've had some time to think, maybe too much time at times, right? But we desperately need that perspective once in a while. Which leads us to today in this new series that we're going to begin. If you can put the new slide up there. Just something I, I drew this morning 
Um, but I feel like this next piece that we're going to talk about, um, it's a really kind of a giant piece, actually, um, of the hope puzzle as well. It's going it's gonna, to it's gonna fit in and, and connect some things. So back in January, I think, somebody tipped me off to a book by one of my favorite authors, John Eldridge, called All Things New. And uh, started reading um, that book. And, and after I read the introduction, this is what I wrote at the top of the page. It says, I was, re- I was uh, remarking recently to two of my teenage runners, this was back in December, that I've never felt more hopeless about humanity and the world's future as I do now. This book was an answered prayer even before I prayed for it. So, this book is this good. <laughs> but let me clarify that it's only good because God's word is good. Okay, so Eldridge just takes several concepts from the Bible um, about eternity and what God promises us, and he just melds them together. And if you've ever read his stuff, with just this sense of wonder and imagination, and for a guy that's just kind of rational and bland, like I need creative writers to kind of spark my imagination a little bit. So this, it's just been this injection of wonder into my heart. So let me give you a, a quick sample of the author's thoughts. And uh, he's also got a little quote um, by C.S. Lewis in here. But he says, The constant push in Western Christianity to make it practical betrays our favorite apostasy. It exposes how utterly fixated on the present moment we really are. Yes, we need to embody God's love in the world today. The human race is not well. Things fall apart. We must care for the planet and all creation. We must fight injustice. But we speak of that work so casually, we do not understand it can be the most demanding, heartbreaking work in the world. Those who serve at the front lines of social justice ministry have a tragically high burnout rate. And here's kind of the money part. (laughs) Without a glorious hope blazing in your heart, you will be crushed by the pain of the world. If you read history, wrote C.S. Lewis, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. That was intriguing. Uh, And I have a confession to make because when I read that, I was busted. Because I'll just be honest with you, like I don't spend much time thinking about the world that God has prepared for us on the other side of our earthly life. And and I'll just be honest with us here this morning is that I think that um, how good we have it in America, I think we spend very little time thinking about eternity and the second coming of Christ. And I think it's, it's actually kind of quietly draining our hope tank. Scripture contains twice as many prophecies about Christ's second coming as it, as it does about his first coming to Bethlehem. And that fact, like, ought to get our attention, okay? And these are significant promises. But we American Christians, I feel like we put so much emphasis on just trying to make our present world work. <laughs> and by and large, life here gives us just enough pleasure that we settle for thinking that it's enough to satisfy our hearts most of the time. But meanwhile, 
kind of like a, a spring that's running just below the ground, our hearts are longing. And they're longing to be loved and to be known. They're longing for peace and for healing and for joy that doesn't fade so quickly, for beauty and youthfulness that isn't slipping away so rapidly. We're chasing something, always it seems, just out of our reach. And let me just say this. God knew this would be the case from the very beginning. It's why he sent his son the first time to rescue and redeem us from our sinful situations. He knew Jesus would have to come the first time, and he knew he would have to come again to restore and renew all things to their original glory forever. So just as he was getting ready to leave this earth, some of his last words to his disciples lets us in on kind of Jesus' eternal plan. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. It's page 895. Matthew 19, we're going to look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things... When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking about the 12 disciples. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus uses this phrase, the renewal of all things. And it sounds a little vague. What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about heaven? Let's turn over to Revelation uh, chapter 21, next to the last chapter in the whole Bible. Revelation 21, the disciple John at the very end of his life is kind of given a vision, a glimpse into the plans that God has for us. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 21 of Revelation, John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am making all things new. What is Jesus talking about? Let me just kind of start with this. Eldridge writes this. He says, how you envision your future impacts your current experience more than anything else. Children starting the long school year feel very differently about waking up each morning than those who know summer vacation is just a few days away. The woman recently served divorce papers feels very differently about her life than the woman who wakes the day before her wedding. 
how we feel about our future has enormous consequences for our heart now. If you knew that God was going to restore your life and everything you love any day, if you believed a great and glorious goodness was coming to you, not in vague heaven, but right here on this earth, you would have a hope to see you through anything. You would have an anchor for your soul, an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. I remember early on, probably two weeks into the whole shutdown, and I was out mowing my lawn, and I was listening to a podcast. So got this podcast going, and the guy is saying that Americans are not going to be able to keep this quarantine thing up without an end in sight. He's like, we, we just can't handle it. Like, we've got to have a deadline. You, you told us at the beginning of this for sure, April 15th, like, everything's going to be back to normal. Like, we could knuckle down and, and pull that off. But he's like, when it's just kind of out there and you don't know where the finish line is, and as we've kind of come to find out, the finish line kept kind of getting pushed back, and we're not even there yet. He's like, man, for Americans, that's going to be tough. That's just human nature, partly, right? I don't know about you, but I got a, a few weeks into this whole thing, and I started getting so sick of bad news, <laughs> right? The, the doom and the gloom and the fear and the worst-case scenario um, kind of reporting. Um, it kind of just started to suck to the life out of me to the point where I just started getting on my phone. Any of you guys do this and Google good news about the coronavirus? Like, anybody else type that into their phone? I'm like, something, right? And come to find out, just a few days ago, I was like, I was not the only one who was doing that. Actually, John Krasinski, right, from the office, Jim, right, he was doing the same thing. And so he created a daily news show in his house called Some Good News. Who's, who's watched that? Some Good News. It's on every day. It means there's been several episodes of it. Um, and he just gathered, he put, put the word out, and people started sending in stories of kind of hope of what was going on, even in the midst of this. And then he was sharing stories about, you know, the, the good things that were going on in our world. Um, great stuff. So not to ignore the, like, scientific realities of what's going on, but just something to kind of encourage us during this time. Um, we all need something to look forward to. And honestly, that's why just on a daily basis, we're all kind of constantly looking at our phones, at our email the next call, the next Instagram post. We're, we're just longing for something, promising, something to celebrate. Because whether we're in, you know, a virus situation or not, like our hearts are just like, we can only take so much, right? I don't know about you, but I've been in, in places where it's like, God, please, like the next text or email that I get, could it please be something encouraging? <laughs> like I can't take another email or text about something negative or some problem. Um, things have brought us, and, and if you think about it, and this has only been amplified now, but even before this time in the last couple of months, is that a lot of the things that have brought us comfort in the past, society-wise, systems, institutions, are kind of unraveling around us, honestly. Family structures, leadership and church, politics, our schools and universities, and now, for many people, their career and finances. And untethered, we wonder, what could we put our trust in? What can we hope in? And Scripture talks about three great forces of human existence. Paul says, three things remain. What are those three things? Faith, hope, and love. 
faith, hope, and love. Forces that have to exist for our lives to thrive. And Hebrews uh, 6.19 actually says that, um, is that hope is referred to as the anchor for our soul. It's the anchor for our soul. It's a proven medical fact that somebody facing a life-threatening illness who has hope that they can beat it and, and, and that they're going to be healthy and whole again have a far better chance of getting through that disease um, than somebody who's lost hope for whatever reason. Hope just does something to us. I would say the same thing is true about people that come into my office um, for marriage counseling, like their marriage is kind of falling apart. And no matter how bad it is, if both people sitting before me have hope in the God who redeems and restores all things, like I can get someplace with those folks, not just back to what they had, but most of the time, I can get to a better place than they've ever had because we can begin to address the issues they haven't been addressing that got them to the place of crisis. But if somebody, if a couple comes into my office and even just one of them has lost hope for the, that their marriage is redeemable, it's going to be very difficult to turn that ship around. Hope is that important. Medical experts would tell you that hope literally heals the structures of your brain. And it's interesting to consider those three forces in terms of time. Okay, faith looks backward, right? It looks at, at the things that God has done in our life, the ways that he's kind of proven himself faithful, and, and that helps build our faith for the present, right? He came through before, so we have faith that he will come through again. Love is exercised in the present moment, right? Like we love in the now, okay? But hope... Hope looks forward. It anticipates the good thing that is coming. Eldridge described it like this in the book. He says, hope reaches into the future to take hold of something we do not yet have, may not yet even see. Strong hope seizes the future that is not yet. It is the confident expectation of goodness coming to us. So how is your hope these days? What is it that we're looking for? Right? Back in Matthew 19, in, in verse 28, we, Jesus said he's going to at the renewal of all things. And that word renewal in the original Greek is this word. It's palingenesia. Okay? And that's really two words put together, meaning again and beginning. Okay? Renewal, again and beginning, or genesis again. In other words... Eden restored. Our hearts are longing for the perfect creation that God designed for us from the very beginning. So I want to take a look at Matthew 19, 28, and 29 in a couple of different um, translations. So we got the New Living Translation and the Message Translation. And I want you just to take a look at those two different translations there. And I want you just to share kind of what stands out to you. Maybe you haven't spent much time looking at these two verses and thinking about the implications for our lives. So take a second just to read them, and then we'll get some responses.
So what stood out to you as you read, read those verses? I need you folks. Come on. Inheritance, okay. Why did that stand out to you? Okay, good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So it speaks about rewards, right? speaks about rewards that that in heaven God notices the sacrifices that we've made for him here so the things that we do give away of our time our our energy our love our money whatever sacrifices we've made God notices that and he plans to to reimburse us at a very high rate of interest right and we can get uncomfortable with that idea right? Because it almost kind of sounds like prosperity gospel, right? And so we're, we're like very eerie of thinking about this idea of God rewarding us. Anybody struggle with that, right? Okay. But it's all over scripture and we're going to look at it more in the weeks ahead. Anything else? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, coming from Jesus, that means a lot, right? Coming from me, that means squat, <laughs> right? And when Jesus says, I assure you, this is how it's going to happen, just like in Revelation 21, right? Write this down. <laughs> this is going to happen, okay? Yes. What's really crazy when you start thinking through the logic, right, is that whatever we have wasn't ours to begin with, and then God gives it to us and then asks us to be generous with it and give it back, and then it rewards us for that. Like, it's ridiculous. You know, it's kind of like if you give your kids an allowance, right, and they do a fairly good job, and then you, like, give them another 100 bucks when they maybe, you know, it's just like, in addition to what I gave you, I'm going to give you more, which wasn't yours to begin with, you know? So, um, yeah, it's crazy. And guys, like all of these thoughts about the second coming, you know, that's why if, if you guys have been watching The Chosen uh, miniseries, if any of you guys watch that, if you haven't, you need to watch it, okay? You can get it an app. Um, it's a series that talks about the life of Christ, but it's, it's not cheesy. It's super good, okay? But you can just see in people, it's so good to visualize. Like when you read scripture too, you see this, like people struggled to believe that this Jesus that we read about was the Messiah that they were waiting for. 
mean, you can imagine, like, you think, oh, yeah, Messiah's going to come, and the Jews have been waiting thousands of years. And then when he's standing there doing stuff, and most likely, and most of the time, in a way that they weren't expecting, and then they have to kind of reprogram whatever vision they had of what Jesus was going to look like and say, oh, no, this is the guy, and this is the way he's going to do it, and, like, believe that. That's why when we're reading stuff about, you know, his second coming and, and what's out there, it's just like, whatever you thought it was going to be, it's probably going to be much different and it's going to be better than you could ever imagine. And it's hard for us to like come to terms with that and begin to believe that is true. And one of the, our biggest obstacles to hope, I think, is an underwhelming vision or image we've been given of heaven. Underwhelming. Most of the talk that we've heard and you probably heard in your life around eternity doesn't sound that appealing. Kind of like this far side cartoon right here, right? This guy's in heaven sitting on a cloud saying, I wish I'd brought a magazine. <laughs> like, I'm bored out of my mind. I should have brought some reading material, right? Sitting around on clouds in robes. What do people say when, when somebody dies on Twitter? Three letters. Rest in peace, right? What does that mean? forever? Like, am I that tired? It, it is not exciting. <laughs> and I think that's why so it's so hard, we cling so hard to try to make this life appealing. It's because we just haven't been given a very good picture of what the next life is to make us want that. Right? I'm not sure that many people are convinced that heaven is an upgrade over what we're experiencing here. You guys remember the song by Train, Drops of Jupiter? Right? And they say that heaven is what? Overrated. I think a lot of people think that. Ah, yeah, heaven is kind of overrated, man. I'm going to party hard here because this life is all I got, right? Because the vision of what we're going to get or to experience is just not that exciting. But guys, Jesus isn't talking about heaven as we probably thought about it, He's talking about a kingdom. He's always been talking about a kingdom. That's why this image of, of the whole heavenly city coming down to earth. We're not going to be in the clouds. We're going to be here. And he's talking about this kingdom. Some of his very first words were repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or, the kingdom of God is near. And then he gave us glimpses of the kingdom throughout the gospels. Matthew eleven five. he said this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, things are being renewed. He was giving signs of a coming eternal kingdom. And he was saying, guys, I'm going to do those types of things now. As just a, but, the, but instead of being temporary, right, they're going to be eternal. He's like, the greatest miracle I'm going to do is in the hearts of people. I'm going to change those forever. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul said it like this. He said, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, Jesus' miracles here on earth were just whetting our appetite for what was going to be next. He was just getting started. And his resurrection was kind of this final teaser.
right? On Friday, if you would have saw him on Friday, beaten, bloodied, crucified. Scripture, if you read on Isaiah, says that, that he was so unrecognizable, he didn't even look human. A lot of times it's hard for our mind to imagine somebody that's been beaten and, and just ripped and stretched and bloodied so much that you just can't even recognize who is that. That was what was put into the tomb, right? Sunday, he walked out of the tomb a new man. And besides for a few scars in his hands and his feet and his side, you would have never known that that was the same guy you looked at two days ago on the cross, right? His body was completely restored. And actually in 1 John 3, 2, it says, we don't know what we're going to be in heaven, but he says, we will be like Jesus, We'll be like him. We'll look like him in, in terms of our body completely restored. A little over a month after his resurrection, Jesus was taken up into heaven. And in Acts 1, Jesus speaks some of his last words to the disciples. I'm just going to read it for you. So in Acts 1, Jesus is, is rising up. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the disciples. They were looking intently up into the skies as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken, was taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And we've been waiting for Jesus' return ever since. Longing for the renewal of our bodies as well. Let me leave you with this this morning as we close. It says, we've been looking for the renewal all our lives. It has been calling to us through every precious memory, every moment of beauty and goodness. It's the promise whispered in every sunrise, every flower, every wonderful day of vacation, every pregnancy, the recovery of your health. It calls to us even through our fetishes and fantasies, as C.S. Lewis observed. Even in your hobbies, has there not always been some secret attraction which the other, others are curiously ignorant of? Something not to be identified with, but always on the verge of breaking through. The smell of cut wood in the workshop or the clap-clap of water against the boat's side. Are not all lifelong friendships born at the moment when at last you meet another human being who has some inkling but faint and uncertain, even in the best, of that something which you were born desiring and which beneath the flux of other desires and all the momentary silences between the louder passions, night and day, year by year, from childhood to old age, you are looking for, watching for, listening for. You have never had it. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it, tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled. Echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. But if it should really become manifest, if there ever came an echo that did not die away but swelled into the sound itself, you would know it. Beyond all possibility of doubt, you would say, here at last is the thing I was made for. The thing you are made for is the renewal of all things. God has given you a heart for his kingdom, not the wispy vagaries of a cloudy heaven, but the sharp reality of the world made new. And friends, I can't wait 
to share with you over the next couple of months, just the things that I've been learning around this. I'm really excited, hopefully, to kind of expand um, your understanding of what awaits us when Christ comes again and makes all things new. Um, I just want to finish with some conversation. I, I haven't had much conversation, all right, in recent months. So those of you that are here with me this morning, what stood out to you today? What, what as I shared or you looked or you heard a quote um, resonated in your spirit and made you say yes? <laughs> and if you look back through this book in the margins, I would just write in big letters, yes, yes, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> please, I'm longing for this, right? Yes, gosh, it's like my heart's just like, oh man, I want to understand this and get this because I want to have that kind of hope for what's waiting for me because I know if I can get it, it'll impact the way I'm living and seeing things now. So what resonated with you this morning made you say Yes. Yes, Kelsey. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, so she's talking about the communal aspect, and, and so there's two parts to that. Like, we're not alone in the pain, but we're also not alone in the hope, right? And that's what's beautiful about coming together as a church, because we're coming to proclaim that which we are hoping for, right? Not just what we're experiencing now and how good God might be in our life right now, but what is on the other side that's even better than this, right? What else? Anything else? Yeah, Chris? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 He's talking about just, yeah, God just made it so accessible to everyone, the gospel. Right? What I love about the Chosen series is, is who were Jesus' first disciples in that series? Episode one, do you remember? Before he picked his disciples, who was hanging around him? Yes. Who was next? It was episode one or two. Maybe it was the second one. A bunch of kids. Right? Remember the kids are coming to hang out with Jesus every day. And they get it. They get it more than the other people that when he starts preaching, right? The kids are like, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. He does all kinds of crazy stuff. It's awesome. You know, just watch the show. It's amazing, right? 
So we've got to have some childlike wonder, right? Because I, I was a lot more imaginative and fun when I was a kid. I, I imagine. I, I don't even remember myself as a kid anymore. But, oh, let's pray. Stop talking. Let the band get back up here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Um, God, I, I need this conversation right now in our world, in our circumstances. I need this hope. I need to stop trying to make this world satisfy me. I need to stop thinking that I can control it in a way that will, that'll happen. And I need to stop expecting or settling for whatever little pleasures or joys I can get out of this world, that that's enough, that that's really what you had in mind for us. God, you've been planning a home for us for a long time, right? You promised your disciples, if I leave you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to take you so that you might be with me. Oh, man, God, help us to understand just even a glimpse of what that is so that we can share that with this world around us, that there's more than this life has to offer and that you've been putting a lot of thought into what that will look like. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?